Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com, including the new 2716 Blackout Edition. That thing looks mean. Go buy one. You can make sure you subscribe and comment, Facebook, Instagram, iTunes, blah, blah, blah. Help us beat the algorithm and review the show. Give us five stars. I am joined in person by... Hey, everybody. It's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. We we just spent an hour on one thing that we'll talk about later, okay. other time. Okay. But you had a proud papa moment on Sunday. Man, did I. My my offspring, as your dad likes to call yes. you. Yes. Uh, played keys at church for the first time. Um, and he's, what, 17? He's 17, but he only started playing uh, the piano in 2019. So he's three or four years in yep. to playing, and um, it's the first time he's played at church with the with the band, and I thought he did a fantastic job. And did, yeah, did really well. He and he even made like notable adjustments between Thursday when we rehearse and Sunday morning. He did. Um, I did pick up one really funny quirk that I know he got from you genetically. <laughs> <laughs> it's a running joke here about how hard you play instruments. Yeah. Like you just beat the crap out of yep. guitar, piano, whatever. And so every now and then, it's not all the time by any stretch of the imagination, but every now and then he'll be like an eighth of a beat late because you can tell he's trying to make sure he hits the keys hard enough. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was yep. like, yeah. Yep. He's got huge Father's hands. Son. Yeah. And um, his hands are, you know, he's, I don't know, several inches shorter than me. Uh, he's not a big guy, but his hands are just thick. And uh, I don't know. I, I noticed that a couple of times Sunday. That he was just a little bit behind. but uh, Just a, and, and playing with the click for the first time in a band situation. Like, yeah. Whatever. I, th- I thought he did great. Yeah. I was really proud of him. Yeah, did fantastic. I even I even had him cranked in rehearsal to make sure I could hear him. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's go, man. Yeah. So, attaboy, Thomas. Attaboy. So into our main topic, the question I have is, are we witnessing the slow decline of seeker sensitivity in the megachurch performance culture? Short answer is yes, I think. Yeah. Uh, so there were two pieces that I sent you that you didn't have a chance to read. <laughs> but uh, one of them was Carl Truman on WNG.org. I'm not going to post any links. Just look it up for yourself. Uh, Carl Truman is really good on dang near everything that he writes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's British, so uh, the accent makes it even better. Um, so Carl Truman's uh, on WNG.org, turning worship into a clown show. And then on churchleaders.com, this one wasn't nearly as well written, uh, but it kind of still got across the point, why rock star worship leaders are getting fired. So a, a little excerpt from the one on churchleaders.com says, a friend of mine is using a church job placement agency to find a worship leader position for himself. The representative mentioned they've never had so many worship leader job openings when asked why. The representative explained that churches are finding the performance worship leader thing isn't working out so well. It seems congregations are tired of being performed to instead of led in worship. That's interesting. I mean, that's really the question, isn't it? Is that it, are we seeing, are we hearing the death rattles of the seeker-sensitive, performance-driven church? Um, well, we need to ask, well, what evidence would there be that we are? And that might be one tangible thing right yeah. there is that the 
you know, and I could see that, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things I, one of the things I've really encouraged our worship minister in is to not spend all of his time focused on the platform. Like there are mm-hmm. other aspects to why you're here as a worship minister. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things that I encourage him to work on and focus on that really drive us more towards a congregational um, experience when it comes to singing right? Uh, in a variety of different contexts, not just Sunday morning. And so I think, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, there, there seems to be a growing distaste among people people of this performance driven thing i keep hearing mm-hmm. people say uh there, there's about five churches in greenville county do me a favor real quick and pull that mic up that that grill the the windsock thingy oh yeah there we go okay yeah all right i sound better now yes we're very professional here yeah sorry <laughs> there, there's about five churches here in greenville county that would be considered mega churches mm-hmm that people tend to rotate around to. Yep. Uh, like it's 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 not. Oh yeah, I'm going to this one right now. I'm or, going to this one. I used to go to that one. Right. Now we we know. I personally know a couple of people at one of the church. It, maybe it's a mega church. I don't know. It's a large church, and we're not saying they're heretics. Hmm. You no. know, and particularly the people I know, very faithful people. Mm-hmm. You know. So. That's right. The, and and but. What's interesting is one of them in particular seems to have people that are have left it and are leaving it because they quote are tired of the rock show. Right. Um, right. They don't want that. They mm-hmm. want something more. They want something more congregational. Um, and so I think that that is at least one piece of evidence that that model's dying. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I think it, it's. Obviously, I'm not saying this is one to one. Not saying that, but so Truman wrote about uh, Saddleback's pastors. Did you see anything about that no. for their at the movie series? Mm-mm. They dressed up as Bo Peep and Woody from Toy Story mm-hmm. for a service nice. and preached a sermon that way. Yep. Uh, ergo, turning worship into a clown show. Yep. Um, I think. That's kind of like the logical conclusion in the same way that the whole transgenderism ideology thing is the logical conclusion of feminism, mm-hmm. right? They wanted to turn women into men, and then they couldn't, so they decided to try and turn all the men into women, Yep. right? Yep. And, and then you just end up with a mishmash of whatever, and it all looks, it, it ends up being pretty ugly, yep. right? And so he, he starts with first... We live in a childish age where immaturity is lionized, whether it be the spoiled brat behavior of some celebrity or the cheap tantrums of Joe Public on Twitter. True, Jesus commands his disciples to have the faith of children, but there's a big difference between serious childlikeness and silly childishness. Leading worship as a pair of giggling cartoon characters can only be described, and that with charity, as the latter. (laughs) I mean, that, wow. I mean, isn't there something to be said for how this seeker-driven, gimmicky approach to church is insulting mm-hmm. 
you, to adults. It, it assumes you're all morons. Exactly. Yep. yep. And, 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 you know, I, I, I don't know. Somebody just popped a balloon in the office, <laughs> apparently. But um, it just scared me. Um, and now a baby's crying. Now a baby's crying. But, um, yeah, it, it just it seems like we are um, insulting people's intelligence. Or yep. not we. They are insulting people's intelligence by the way they turn worship of the living God into this clown show kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, I was going to do this after we got through the Truman excerpts, but um, I think this is just too good. So I revisited some old favorite emo albums this weekend. So you have no reference for this. No, I don't. But, but these, these are the kind of questions that our culture's asking, right, um, in terms of lyrics. So the first one is from first to last. Uh, do you remember the dubstep? craze yeah. like 15 years ago do you have you ever heard of skrillex no okay so he was like the biggest one okay and he was the original front man of this band okay so he he left them got enormous and then i think this band's music got better when he left but then they kind of faded into obscurity so this is from their 2010 album thrown to the wolves and their song this is just how emo songs are with their titles elvis said ambition is a dream with a v8 engine <laughs> <laughs> so the second verse says getting sued by my friends taught me that I can't pretend that I'm immune to the rules of adulthood. I'd rather be a starving artist than a wealthy critic. I'd rather be a space cadet than bitter and jaded or brain dead and rewarded for it. Like everyone else. My age is wow. <laughs> and what did we give them? No, that's it. That's exactly you right. Know? That's exactly right. And uh, one more from Census Fail, uh, their 2008 uh, album, Life is Not a Waiting Room, which is one of my favorite albums ever. Yep, yep. I actually have Life is Not a Waiting Room tattooed under my collarbone. <laughs> yep. So this is from their, their song, Blackout. And uh, Buddy Nielsen, their, their front man, has been uh, pretty outspoken about his previous substance abuse issues and stuff like that. So... I make mountains out of my worries and I plant pain instead of sturdy trees. I've got to wash these old sheets so I can fall asleep. There are times I reach for the phone to tell you that there might still be some hope holding on to the slack of rope, but that's the whiskey talking. So I hope that you can find some peace in life. Can you survive without me? Cause I thought I'd be fine, but now I'm slurring every single line. Wow. Like, those are the questions that the culture was asking 15 years ago, mm-hmm. even more so now. You're talking about substance abuse and all the, you know, the fentanyl overdoses and stuff like that. And it's, no, let's talk about Toy Story. Let's, let's, uh, let's put on a rock show and perform to you. You know, you're coming in with, you know, you're depending on substances. You don't want to be a moron like everyone else your age is rewarded for. But, no, just sit there and let me spoon-feed you cotton candy all day. Which, which, which begs the question, doesn't it? Who is it? If, if, if I, I realize that not every seeker church is a mega church. Right. But there are a lot of mega seeker, church, seeker churches. Yes. And who's sitting in those congregations? It's not those people. Mm-hmm. Is, is it? I mean, no, not because, at all. Like, that's, that's the group. That's that's the that's the group that they claim to want to reach, but there's no way, no way, 
that those people are sitting in those congregations. Right, and and there were, you know, obviously there were more, ex- we'll say, more explicit examples that I could have pulled out of those albums. I'm and sure, stuff like I'm that. sure. And uh, but like, people are hurting. Here's Toy Story. What are we doing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe you know, I, I, probably if we had one of said seeker church pastors sitting here, they could rattle off story after story of people mm-hmm. that they have reached like that, or. Yeah testimonies in their church of people that have come out of such things. But I think if we're reasonable and we're uh, honest, at this point we have to say that if those churches are reaching those people and they're experiencing the power of God and, and the person of Christ transforming their lives, it's in spite of those things Yes. It's in spite of the clown show, not because of it. Yep. And yet, why can't we see that? Why why can't we see that we don't need these things, mm-hmm. that these things might actually be a hindrance Yep. Uh, to, to the more that could be happening? I don't know. Yep. So, uh, Truman's second point, this is so good. Second, the church is not called to mimic the world far from it. There is only one description in the New Testament of how an outsider should react when he blunders by accident into a church service. It is in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, and 25, Paul tells us that such a person will be convicted and fall on his face knowing that God is there. Presumably, this is because he finds himself in the presence of, an, of a holy God and is overwhelmed by his own sense of unworthiness, turning worship into a comedy skit seems unlikely to produce the same result. In fact, far from being sensitive to the needs of any seeker, it sends a clear signal that the gospel is unworthy of attention by any serious-minded person, believer or unbeliever. I totally agree. Truman's, totally. Truman's just throwing haymakers in this one. No, I mean... And, 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 and all totally deserved, I think. Totally deserved. I mean, there's so much in that statement. Um, you know, what it says about the gospel... Um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Have you um have you read any of Truman's books at all? Creedal Imperative, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. No. Very worth reading. Yeah. Uh anybody out there, go read Truman. Um so here's here's where he really just <laughs> if you think these have been haymakers, here we go. Flowing from this second point is the third and most serious issue. Such trivialization of worship rests ultimately upon a trivialization of God himself. It is a function of the same culture where sports stars refer to the Lord as the big man upstairs, as if God was just one of their drinking buddies, and where Republican members of Congress joke about foregoing sex with their fiancé in order to make it to a prayer meeting on time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and I think... Apply that, water to burned area. Yeah, that that um, statement right there... Um, is, is where I was going to go with this, is that I think if if people in those churches are converted, genuinely converted, mm-hmm. um, I think we can make the case that it's in spite of these gimmicks, not because of them. Yep. Um, and once they are, they, I find that I talk to lots of people who become seriously discontent. Mm-hmm. With a God, with God being trivialized in that way, and they're right. longing for more. I mean, I, I think I experienced some of this on the mission trip I went on this past summer or this summer, um, when suddenly I'm, I'm on a I'm on a missions trip with 
people from churches in several different parts of the country, some of which were mega seeker churches, mm-hmm. and just opening the scriptures with them in an early morning Bible study, I saw how spiritually anemic they were, doctrinally right. anemic they were. They were starving. They were starving, and they knew it. Yeah. And they wanted more. Yep. And, um, but I don't know, you know, these, these churches have, have certain bells and whistles that I think are attractive to some people, programming that appeals to certain consumer itches that might have its way of keeping people mm-hmm. for a while, yep. is that I'm a part of this. Um, there's also the sense that because it's big and because maybe a lot of people are raising their hands to be saved and getting baptized, I'm a part of something great, even if it leaves me wanting. Right. Um, which, all of which I think are maybe death rattles. Right. Now, when we say death rattle, what we're not advocating for is that these churches disappear. No, absolutely not. We're not about that. And I would even say uh, there's one particular, probably the best-known, more seeker-sensitive church, more rock show church. Um, And I, I know a couple people at that church who have said that basically since they... We'll just go ahead and say it because it'll be obvious when when I say it. Uh, it's New Spring, and since they canned Perry Noble several years ago, the culture of that church has shifted dramatically. Yeah, uh, like it is less of a rock show. It's less about the guy up there, and they even rotate who preaches. Still, plenty of stuff we disagree with. Uh, still, plenty of methods and even theology that we're not on board with that. But I think that's even a sign of maybe they're going to start getting even even more serious in this long run because they realize it's not cotton candy and unicorns that actually keeps people around. Right. I think I think they've gotten healthier. Yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting is I think based on what I, I mean I know they've shrunk. Yes. Yeah. There, there there aren't as many people there and I don't think that's necessarily a loss um you know I think that getting healthier is is the greater good. Um, And so I would agree. I think their culture has shifted in that way. And that's a good thing. And that's what we want is we want, you know, we want churches to realize they don't have to be gimmicky in order to reach people. They can simply teach the word and point people to worship a holy God Mm -hmm. and do that in a way that is reverent and and appropriate um, and biblical. uh, And it doesn't have to be trivialized or dumbed down as if, you know, people aren't going to give God the time of day if we don't dress up in Toy Story outfits. I just can't get my head around that. Yeah. Like, you know, it's it's one thing for something like that to happen in in a children's ministry context, but even then, mm-hmm. we've found here at Res mm. that not just high school and middle school, but also elementary. Yeah. They are more intrigued. They they're, are more engaged. They're not idiots. They're not idiots. And and to open the scriptures with them and do that, you know, um, in, in, in as intentional a way as we do on Sunday morning with adults has been very effective. Yeah. Very effective. Yeah. You teach people how to read the Bible and, oh, look, they're healthier. Yeah. <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's – we're not also we're also not taking shots at a more – Obviously, not taking shots at a more modern style of no. musical worship because no. generally we're 
more on the modern side. You know, I play electric guitar here. We're actually running two electrics this week with our boy Colin Hall, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to be great. But it's not like we are adamant. It's not a performance. No. In fact, you know, I told Stephen yesterday, our our worship minister, we we were. I mean, don't run with this too far in your head, but we were having a big picture conversation about mm-hmm. facilities and and technology and and different things that we're trying to work on and improve, and just to drive home the core value of our church, I said to him, I said, if you came to me and made a biblical case, or or I think I said a a reasonable argument for us to abandon everything digital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it was not just because you were being anti, but yep. you were aiming us into a deeper experience of worship in spirit and in truth through this, yeah. I would listen to it. Yeah. I would I would give serious consideration to it. And that's not tongue in cheek. Right. That, that's because I realize what the main thing is. Right. Even to the point where um I remember Several months ago, uh, one of our elders, Andy, preached a sermon, and if I recall correctly, none of the scripture was on the screen at all, right? In- including the main text, right? And so it, every time he referenced something, he's like, "Turn with me there," and you're flip, 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 and that was that was a good there's experience. something really good about yeah. that. Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong with having scriptures on the screen, no. Nope. But if you, it's just something that we've kind of assumed. Maybe every now and then, just try not using it. Yeah. And see what happens. And then make your decision based on that. Because, like, and I know where, where some of that conversation stemmed from is some of the issues we've had with our, yeah. with our technology here. And, and sometimes there have been weeks where it almost came to the point of, of all right, we're just going to make a change for this week and deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, because, but what those conversations have shown is those are just peripheral. It's not. It's not a big deal. Yeah, we and and I think you have to be clear about that. Um, yeah. And otherwise, you you're, you know, it, the stat that or or whatever that was that said that there were just an enormous amount of worship leaders looking for a place to land. Right. Uh, could indeed be a reflection of the fact that you know churches in general are starting to recognize that. It's it. If we remove some of these production elements, mm-hmm. if if we don't spend all our time focused on that and emphasizing that, then maybe maybe the current job descriptions aren't full time jobs. Right. Like right. what? What do we? Ha- it, which says something, doesn't it? Yep. If you've got a person on staff that's in charge of worship, and you remove the production elements, and they don't have a job anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Like, what does that say? Yeah. What does that what does that yeah. tell us? Like that that would be concerning to me. Yeah, because especially with and obviously again, we're not saying it's bad to use like backing tracks or something like that, but if Ableton Live is taking up that much time and then you just say, Hey, let's only focus on who we have as a band and all of a sudden there's three hours a week being put in. <laughs> oh boy. That's a that's a really good point. That's a really good point. So we think we're seeing the death rattles of seeker-sensitive culture. We think American Christianity on the whole, obviously this is going to take a long time. Large structures take a long time to, to keel over. It's not, 
they have an, a heart attack and die instantly unless you're Mark Driscoll and you burn down your church. That's that's different, right? Uh, but on the whole, we would see American Christianity eventually coming out stronger and healthier. Totally. Because we've stripped away the nonsense. That's right. We and agreed on that? I totally agree on that. And I, my hope would be that... Mm, that post-mail. <laughs> my, my hope would be that what we see is um, churches focusing more on equipping saints... Yes. And less on attracting unbelievers. Yes, because uh, that's what the church is. Yeah, because equipped saints will attract unbelievers. Yeah, I was asked. Uh, so we are being called by God's grace. To I don't. Save I don't know if you saw the meme that uh, I I posted last week to get attention for this, uh, but it was it was Kenneth Copeland uh, with his surprised face of <laughs> that that face you yeah, make when everyone right. realizes you're a false prophet, and one guy kind of came after me a little bit of, you know, I don't want to be bashing everybody and whatever. Well, what are you doing for outreach? And one of the things that we say in in our membership class is we get that question all the time. And our answer is you're our outreach plan Mm -hmm. is, is the, the church is not called to put on a bunch of events and say, all right, this is our evangelism strategy. It's like, no, y'all go, you know, we scatter on mission, you know? Mm -hmm. And so go, go, win people at your job or school or whatever neighborhood and, and you'll be our outreach strategy. And then that results in more organic and intentional discipleship, which means you have stronger converts down the road. Which I think is what the majority of church resources should be focused on. It's not right. to say that I have a problem with uh, churches program, programizing, programatizing uh, evangelism or um, even, even, you know, humanitarian aid mm-hmm. and and being passionate about that. That's oh, not, absolutely. That's, that's not wicked. That's good. But it, I think a church has to be primarily focused on equipping saints for the work of the ministry because I think the work of the ministry best takes place in an incarnational way. Yes. Life to life, face to face, and participating with Jesus in his kingdom agenda in the lives of people that he's drawing that – uh, to himself, and um, yep. so anyway, I, I would, I hope that what what will happen is that seeker churches will become churches who equip saints, mm-hmm. um, and they're focused on that as opposed to just trying to gimmick um, anybody and everybody to come in because Willow Creek's model proved it wasn't working. Right, and they came out and said that. they came out and said as much. Yep, yep, Inquisition. I hit the wrong thing. That's why we can't have nice things. <sighs> and on take two, this is the Inquisition, where you submit questions and we answer them on the fly. And you can submit those questions via a weekly post at the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. Uh, just a heads up, Lance Moore, I did get your question on monergism versus synergism. We're just going to make that the topic next week. Uh, and... I also had to cut Aaron Littles. I'll just move that to next week, too. Uh, so as is tradition, we'll start with Brian Morris, who asks, how should we evaluate participation in ecumenical events? So let's say there's an outreach or maybe a hymn sing uh, in the community, something of the sort. Uh, how do we evaluate whether we're going to participate in that or not? Hmm. That's a really good question. Um I, I can just tell you what we do here at Res is we we just don't. Everybody else can take a hike. I'm just kidding. 
we're we're really clear about the fact that um we're called to shepherd this congregation right and we there was an event that we participated in uh in the community for several years called Halloween hoopla and it was nothing more than just a you know affair of sorts that mm-hmm. we helped put on us in another church in downtown Greer uh, thousands of people came to it every time we did it. And yep. um, it, from that standpoint, it was a huge success. Uh, we had volunteers in our church that participated in it. Um, but what we found is that it wasn't, it wasn't really producing anything. And not right. that we did it just to get people to come to our churches. We mm-hmm. never even put a sign up. Right. That, that right. wasn't the reason we got involved in it. We, we just didn't see it enhancing the our involvement in it was not enhancing our people's love for Christ or their sense of mission. Right. Right. It felt more like a chore than anything. It was a chore. It was something we did that we put on and we spent a lot of money and a lot of man hours on it, but it wasn't in either either enhancing our folks love for Christ or their sense of mission and living on purpose participating with Christ in his kingdom work. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Neither was happening, so therefore we don't do it. Right, right. If if we could participate in something like that, and directly or indirectly it was accomplishing one or both, Mm -hmm. then we would we might do it. Right. Uh, But I think you just have to be clear about, you know, Res is not a church that does community outreach. Air quotes Mm -hmm. for community outreach sake. Right. We are not. We are not a church that feels like we, I'm not saying this should be true for everybody, that we should participate in such things for the sake of marketing. Because in an indirect way, if we get out in the community and we're visible with our church t-shirts on, more people might come to church on Sunday and therefore mm-hmm. might come to Christ. That's we don't we don't work that way. Right. We we are focused on equipping, discipling, pastoring, caring for, and shepherding the people that God's entrusted to us. Yep. And equipping them to be sent out and scattered in His name, um, so anything and everything we do has got to fall in line with that, or we just simply don't do it. Exactly. Now, I I did uh, was coming up on two years ago. I I organized a hymn sing, a Christmas hymn sing, in our downtown Greer Park. Mm-hmm. And when I was inviting churches, it was basically baseline orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, so Presbyterian friends, cool. Lutherans, cool. Uh, Calvary Chapel, cool. Come hang out. Um, the people I didn't email, obviously, like progressive liberals, you're not orthodox. Uh, and then kind of where I drew the line was, do they have a woman for a pastor? Right. Uh, it, where there are very good biblical arguments to be made that we disagree with on things like infant baptism. Mm -hmm. And so we would automatically recognize we have a legitimate disagreement on how to read that. Mm -hmm. Whereas with female pastors, we would say that's outright disobedience Mm -hmm. and we're not going to endorse that. Sure. Um, And so, you know, things like infant baptism or continuationism versus cessationism or things or eschatological issues of, are you, you Calvary Chapel, dispensational. But no one's going to argue against the fact that Chuck Smith took the word seriously, 
right? No, uh, that's right. You know, so uh, we're going to fully recognize, yes, dispens- dispensationalists, uh, Calvary Chapel, come on, let's sing. Well, uh, and but, I think you're hitting on something else that yeah. at Res we value is we value partnership. Um, right. Partnership with local churches and also partnership with uh, parachurch organizations that we feel like are Christ-centered and also meeting needs in the community. We're happy to partner with those people. Mm-hmm. So we might participate in an event. Like we're, we're part of a golf tournament yep. every year yep. that does both. It enhances our partnerships with other local churches and with parachurch organizations that are Christ-centered and meeting needs in the community. Um, Like Evans Training Center, which is a drug and alcohol rehabilitation program for men Mm -hmm. just down the street. So those are reasons why we would get involved in these ecumenical things um, for the sake of our folks and also for the sake of our partnerships Mm -hmm. and relationships. Yeah, because I'm sure if you drill down far enough since you mentioned them, Evans Training Center, there's probably going to be something that we disagree with. No, we've I've talked with him about it. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, cool. <laughs> but th- there's a there's there's just such a man. You talk about a guy who's has a heart for the Lord and a heart for men battling addiction and yeah. is in the trenches with yeah. these guys. I I I love our partnership with Dave Crooks and yep. and and his program. So. Those are, those are reasons why we do those things, and I think every church needs to have a filter for that. Yep. All right, so I have a story that goes with this one, but Drew Medden asks a question effectively that comes down to uh, what are your opinions on the spiritual effects and consequences of supernatural horror movies? So stuff like The Exorcist, Paranormal Activity, The Conjuring, etc. Hmm. That's a good question. So... <laughs> when I was, I think, in middle school, uh, I, if I recall correctly, it was like my parents went to a small group and most of the the their offspring, as we said earlier, would you know watch a movie or something. So one time we watched What Lies Beneath. Mm-hmm. So Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. the, the ghost communicates with power surges, power flickers, and whatever. So we watched that movie. And in the middle of the night, like, and you know I don't tell stories like this. <laughs> yeah. Middle of the night, my light turns on, and my CD player turns on, and my TV player turn on all at the same time. My CD player would not turn on past a volume of like 16 or something because I would listen to it louder, and it turned on at the volume that I normally listened to it. And that happened like two or three times. <laughs> Needless to say, I was a little freaked out. <laughs> How old were you in this album? I, I think I was in middle school. Holy cow. And then later, I think my sister maybe wasn't at that thing. So then she watched it later. And the same thing happened in her room when she watched it. Mm. I don't mess around with that crap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was talking with my wife about this not that long ago. Similar. Um, is we were talking about this. What what is it about us as humans that we're we're so attracted to being thrilled mm-hmm. that we would scare the living daylights out of ourselves in order to feel that rush? Yeah. What is that? Yeah. I'm not opposed to scary movies in general, uh, but I think you really got to be careful when you start dealing with supernatural type of stuff because yeah. because we don't live in a simply materialistic world. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is a great question, and I don't know that I have fully fleshed out thoughts on it, but, you know, to me, there is a difference between fantasy. Right. Yeah. Lord of the Rings. Right. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia, that stuff. Right. Yeah. Fantasy and what you might call um, depiction of supernatural things that, you know, I don't know. It's, it, it's supernatural voyeurism. Yeah, supernatural voyeurism with things that are legitimate. Like it's it, it. There are legitimately, there there are demons. Yes, right. There are evil spirits at work in the world, um, and in the earth, and in the lives of people. And I don't know. Like you, you when you expose yourself to that, um, and ideas about that. Um, you know, the Bible does say, "Don't give the devil a foothold." That's not a. That's not a direct application to what we're talking about in that text but i don't know like i, I feel like you th there is a point at which you just need to avoid um the impact on your soul of movies mm -hmm. like that um maybe what we need is a christian like a really robustly orthodox christian to make a good movie about a true story about demon possession yeah because then you get it from the actual true perspective instead yeah. of this Hollywood eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the sensationalized. And obviously, it being a movie, there's going to have to be something sensational about it. But not the, oh, let's just kind of glory in this. That, that kind of gross. Oh, yeah. That was awesome. No, it wasn't. Her head spun around. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe this is what I'm trying to get at. You know, my kids, as they grew up, they at some point, you know, we had the conversation about air quotes cuss words. Mm -hmm. Why are these words bad words, Daddy? Mm -hmm. And these words are not. And what I've tried to teach my children is that there are some words. There are some words in our culture currently that are, I would say, are crude. Mm -hmm. But they're not what I would considered to be bad words, cuss words. Right. There are some words that take things that are really, really serious and really, really matter, and they treat them with contempt or they trivialize them. Right. Like the word hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've told my kids, don't use that word. Sure. Right? Uh, if, I, if I could just be candid and forth right here, okay? If my son says ass, mm -hmm. I'm not really concerned about that. Right. Now, if he's doing it in a crude way, he's doing it in anger or, you know, um that's going to be a different conversation. Right. If you're just being a, you know, um a foul-mouthed idiot, we're mm. going to we're going to have a talk about that. Right. Um but that word in and of itself doesn't bother me like the word hell because hell is a real thing. Mhm. Mm Hell, hell is not something I want to trivialize. Mm -hmm. I don't want to just let that word roll off the tongue and be desensitized to the actual reality of hell. Right. And so if I watch these kinds of movies, does it mm -hmm. in fact, it, it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to lead me into a level of fear that's not what God has for me, right? Yep. Or it's going to lead me to become desensitized yep. to things that really matter and are real. Yep. Um, yep, yep, yep. And either way, I think same thing with words. You know, you don't want to be overly fearful. You might need to use that particular word sometime. Exactly. You know, like if you really got to get your point across, like uh, 
uh, Tony Dungy was renowned for never cussing at referees as a head coach. Right. And he did like once. Yeah. And the team let him hear about it the rest of the season, and then he never did it again. <laughs> well, like Brian Alkin, the guy that I always refer to as my pastor, he told me this story one time. He was standing on a sidewalk next to a guy, and the guy stubbed his toe or dropped something or, or whatever, and he said GD mm-hmm. really loud. Mm-hmm. And you know Brian, and you know how he is, yep. and our audience doesn't necessarily, but you'll get a kick out of this. He just leaned over to the guy, and he said, um, you really don't want God to do that. <laughs> and you know what? He ended up having a gospel conversation with this guy and praying with him. Right. Because what what did he do? In his own snarky sort of way, Is he? he pointed the guy to the fact that God damning something mm-hmm. is a really serious deal. Yeah, and you don't want to just flippantly or casually treat. So, I'm 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 equating that with these kinds of movies yeah. that the questions. I think that's talking fair. about. I think that's so. fair. So, we ran a little over. That's all right. I'm all right. Okay, good. So, on that note, on that note of demons, <laughs> demons and cuss terror. words. That's the name of this episode. Demons and cuss words is. <laughs> this Inquisition brought to you by Demons and Cuss Words. Yeah. Wormwood says hi. Yeah. Uh, go love God. <laughs> love your name. <laughs> Make some music. We'll see you next time.